Welcome to Legacy Sport Live, stories of the people who are shaping the conversation at the intersection of sport, business and purpose. I'm Neil Duffy, co-author of our new book, Legacy Sport, how to win at the business of sport in the age of social good. Today I'm talking to Lou Blaustein, founder of Green Sports Blog and Eco Athletes. Lou shares with us his insight into the inroads that sport is making around sustainability and purpose and the athletes who are embracing their role as powerful activists to fight climate change and other environmental issues. Really excited to be with uh, Lou Blastin today. Lou is someone that I have um, shared stories with for many years now on the at the on things happening at the intersection of sport and and purpose and sustainability and greening and all that stuff. Lou, so good to have you with us today. And um, firstly, thank you for having stuck with this space for so long. I mean, you're one of the real warriors around and sustainable and sport. Thank you. So. As well. <laughs> so We'd love to go back to the beginning, Lou, and just at a kind of personal level, understand, you know, what got you thinking about green sport and all the stuff that you think about today? Well, it's, it might sound a bit hokey, but as, you, as, as I go through it, you, hopefully there's logic to it. So I was always, you know, a, a sports nut from as far as back as I can remember. Um, and always knew that I wanted to work in sports. I also knew I was not a good athlete. I figured that out at about age seven. So I thought I'd be a sportscaster, tried that. And so 9-11 happened. And that was a defining moment for me. I was, like I said, I was working in New York City and, uh, and I felt like I had to do something. But what was that something? And then Eight months later or so, uh, Tom Friedman in the New York Times wrote a column called Green is the New Red, White, and Blue. And the idea that we were fueling the wars on terrorism that we were fighting at the time by our insanely profligate energy use. And so I went out and bought a hybrid car. I changed out all my light bulbs. I greened up my personal life. And then as time went on, climate change became part of my a mental conversation, and it all just made sense. And I felt like I had to then green my work. Greening one's personal life, it's a nice thing to do, but how can you make a bigger impact? So in the end, a few years later, I left sports marketing, ad sales, and promotion and went into green consulting on a marketing, communications, and business development basis kind of taking what I was good at in the sports sector and translating it to the green sector. And then, so it was a natural outgrowth maybe three or four years later that I thought, huh, is there an intersection of green and sports that would marry my two passions? And then I found out about the formation of the Green Sports Alliance in 2011. And then in 2013, I decided, you know what? I'm gonna write a blog about this called Green Sports Blog and that will get me to meet everybody in the green sport. There were several, uh, there are several people who I would, uh, I, I would refer to. One is Leilani Munter, who is a, uh, a NASCAR driver. She drove in the second level of NASCAR 
And she describes herself as the eco-vegan hippie chick with a race car. So imagine a woman driver in NASCAR whose sponsors are only vegan brands, bringing veganism to NASCAR tracks. Because she figures that if you can get NASCAR fans to adopt environmentally friendly vegan lifestyles, then you're adding to the people who are, who are taking positive environmental action. She believes that the green movement talks to the, preaches to the converted most of the time. She went beyond the converted. So Leilani Munter is definitely one of the visionaries. Another, was, she, was she successful, Lou? Well, you know, it depends on what your definition of success is. Remember, she, you know, she was not able to get to the top flight of NASCAR, so her reach wasn't as big as had she been at the top level. But, you know, she would, when, for example, at Daytona, uh, her, her series, the ARCA series, would also race during the week when the Daytona 500 would be raced. So she'd be there the whole week, and she would have uh, a stand in the fan village that would be handing out uh, uh, Impossible Burgers. So, and that would be reaching 20,000 people. Now, is that a macro success? Probably not. But, you know, in her own way, yes, she yeah. was successful. Yeah, so as a first mover, she was already starting to move the needle. Yes. Yeah. Another is Dale Vince, who is the owner of a, an English football team or soccer team called Forest Green Rovers. They are currently in the fourth level of English football. And uh, he owns a, um, a solar and wind company in the central part of England near where his team is located. And when he bought the team in 2010, they were on the verge of insolvency. And they were in the fifth level of English soccer. And he set out to make them the greenest team in sports and also to make them better on the pitch. And he has been successful in both. On the greenest team in sports, he has done things like put solar on the roof, not surprisingly, electric vehicles for all the players, an organic pitch that's mowed by a solar-powered MoBot, if you can believe that. But even harder to believe is that all the food sold at the New Lawn, which is the name of their stadium, is vegan only. And that was controversial at first, but now has become actually popular with the fans. On the pitch, they've been promoted once to the fourth level of English football because they have a system of promotion and relegation. And they are, he is putting in a lot of resources into the team to hopefully get them to the third and maybe even to the second level. That's his goal. Um, so I would say Dale Vince is another uh, leading thinker in sport. Right. So, and as you say there, I mean, there are many others, which is, you know, which we, who we highlight um, in the book and some of whom we speak to on, um, on the podcast series. So, you know, so we've seen tremendous um, kind of growth and interest in this green sports space over the last 10 years. Uh, but there've also been a lot of frustrations over those last 10 years. I know you and I have had many conversations about, you know, why doesn't the media want to tell this story? Why doesn't the media want to pick up and, and help to, to amplify 
the good that is being done in sport um, in this space. I mean, yeah. what, are your, what are your thoughts on all that? Well, why do, you, why do you think that's been the case? Well, partly because they haven't, I, I believe the media hasn't been shown the way, right? Like, and what I mean by that is the sports leagues and teams in the main now for the you know, eight or nine years of the green sports movement, and certainly in the seven years that I've been writing the blog, have all been greening themselves, i.e. lead certified stadiums and zero waste games. And they talk about it in, in press releases and at conferences about how green they are. But they don't tell the fans because they don't broadcast it. And that is their own, uh, that's their own doing. If they, if the teams and leagues were really serious about it, like if they believed that we were in a climate emergency, as in as is the case, they would act differently. And one way they would act differently is let's take the NFL for example. The NFL, if they were really serious about getting the hundreds of millions of fans, you know, every year who watch NFL games, if you accumulate them all. Um, you know, to, if they wanted to, to message climate to them, they would say to their network partners when they negotiate the next network deal, hey, we will take a smidge less money from you for the right to broadcast our games. But for that, you are going to provide us with time to, and you are going to help us produce climate-themed public service announcements or ads. That's what they would do if they were serious about it. And then the media, they would, they would do it, but the leagues haven't pressured them. The teams haven't pressured them. The teams so and leagues you, haven't done it themselves. Why do you think that is, Lou? Because I don't, think they, I don't think they think that that adds to their business. And their business, the way they think, and this has been the way sports has been for, you know, for Forever. 75, 100 years <laughs> has been to sell sponsorships, sell ads, sell tickets, wait for the ratings to come out, you know, assuming the ratings are good, you know, kind of click, clink glasses, give a toast, you know, and build a better new stadium and on and on we go. But, you know, in terms of, uh, and, and I don't, I don't mean to be so cynical. I mean, Look, sports has done, and the leagues and teams have done great things on a number of social causes, social issues. Um, I think they have, in the main, thought of climate specifically as political, and that's one thing that they want to stay away from, again, in the main. And they probably think that it's not as interesting to their fan base as something that is favored by everyone, let's say like you know, solving breast yeah. cancer. Yeah. But, but, that, but that's, but that's also um, pretty short sighted, isn't it? Because we've seen the, I mean, all the statistics and the research show that there is a growing interest in the climate change issue amongst, uh, you know, the average Joe public. Absolutely. And, and really think about it, Neil, who, you know, if, if you were to talk to, uh, 
you know, any of the major sports league commissioners, and let's say from a North American standpoint, and ask them what, what keeps them up at night. And, you know, they'll each have their own answers, but I bet one answer they'll all have in common is how do we remain relevant mm-hmm. to millennial, Gen Z, and whatever the generation after Gen Z is called to those people? Because they certainly are consuming sports now in ways way different than, say, boomers and Gen Xers did. And that way is not, is not to our advantage, meaning their attention spans are shorter. They have more, they have more um, options in terms of entertainment. Their loyalty to team and sport is less in general. And so getting younger people to stick with sports and teams is something they're really concerned about. Now, I'm not going to be as conceited. I'm not going to be conceited to say, oh, if they really are serious about green, that's going to make someone a sports fan. Uh, obviously not. But it, w- it makes them more relatable. It makes them more like, hey, to the younger person, this organization, this team, this league gets me. And so um, on a marginal basis, that's going to help. Yeah. I, you know, Leo, I don't even think it's marginal. I, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with the Recycle for Good program that, that yes. uh, the Falcons do with Novellus. Yes. And, you know, if you speak to Scott Jenkins, he'll tell you that the research that they've done shows that the fans, and it's funny, it's, it's different from different types of fans, but I think he said, told me that the MLS fans for mm-hmm. United, they gave like a 98% positive rating to that program and said that it made a real difference in terms of how they view their relationship with the club. Yeah. And I think it would, depending on which environmental metric you're talking about, it'll be like a a massive majority of people. Like if you're talking about recycling or clean air, you know, and especially young people will get behind that. And, but increasingly climate will be, will be in that, in that strong, plurality and so that's where i think the teams and the leagues and maybe the media as well but i think they follow the leagues and the teams that they are missing the boat right right i mean we you remember back to the days when we worked together on super bowl 50 we had that play campaign and i mean that was an effort to get the fans involved and there was you know in its own little way there was great engagement but you, you were you were personally helping to try and get that story out there, and it was a it was a tough it was a tough sell, wasn't it? It you know what it it was, but on some level, you know, we got something like sixty million positive impressions. We got coverage for it, um, and I think that had Super Bowl committees after Super Bowl Fifty, you know, built on that it would have been even easier. But, uh, you know, with your work uh, at the Super Bowl 50 host committee, which put Green at the top of the, you know, the main kind of social cause for, in terms of the host committee's legacy, that was unique, right? Super Bowl 50 stands as the greenest Super Bowl ever. Um, And then Miami, uh, to their credit, uh, actually uh, did some good things. Still, to my mind, not as as focused 
and as pointed as what was done in the Bay Area in Super Bowl 50. But um, it's it, the problem with those things, going back to your question about media, is that when people would hear about it, every, they would like it. But the problem was um, the networks that broadcast the Super Bowl or NFL games, as mentioned earlier, don't talk about it. Yeah. And I think some of that probably has to do with, an, for, you know, there's an editorial um, component to all of that because many of the same, it's the same people that are producing Super Bowl and, you know, Final Four and all this stuff that have been doing it for the last 20 years. It's a very small group of producers, executive producers that are putting the editorial side together of, of sport uh, delivery. And so, may, I don't know, maybe, maybe we need to go and take them out for a beer, Lou, and get them to see the light. That's right. A, 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 a beer like a New Belgium beer that's sustainably <laughs> brewed. Uh, yeah. So, so, so it's really interesting. So we're sitting here in 2020. Um, you know, we're both confined in our homes because of coronavirus. Um, and I wanted to, you know, just pick on a point that you made before we started recording that, you know, you said this, you said to me, this is, un, we're in unprecedented, unprecedented times, maybe even more unprecedented than 9-11. Um, and you know, you, you are one example of a person that was inspired to action because of nine 11. So do you, do you think that what we're going through now is maybe going to breed a whole new, um, group of people that are going to want to kind of live life differently and that maybe some of those are in sport and that, that we're going to see some kind of positive impact from all of this? Uh, yes, I do believe so. Uh, I, and in fact, that's why, uh, I and a few others are launching a nonprofit called Eco Athletes, which is looking to find athletes who are interested in climate. We want to identify them, inspi inspire them, coach them, and then to, to talk about and to speak out on climate specifically. And then they and their teams, and we can help uh, get them to find forums in which to speak about it. Because we believe that athletes are the true power of sports. And, you know, and I'm sure you agree with this, Neil, and we've even spoken about it. The green sports movement, understandably, to this point, has focused on greening the games, literally uh, the stadiums and arenas where games are played, making them lead certified, uh, energy efficient lighting, recycling, composting, all of which are good, but, and important. And it's great that they've done this work. But really, the power of sports goes far beyond the people who come to games because that's a tiny portion of the people who follow sports, who watch them on TV, who, who, who you know, text to their friends about them, et cetera, et cetera. How do we get uh, to permeate to the vast majority of fans positive environmental messaging, positive climate messaging? And that's through athletes, it's, I'm, I say, and that's through, as you were talking about before, uh, through the prism of the media, through the megaphone of the media. Mm -hmm. And so if it's not going to be paid media, you know, through athletes speaking out on it, they can get earned media, i.e. covered in, you know, on online newspapers and television, et cetera. Yeah. So yes, yeah. to answer your question. So, so just to, to, dig into that a little bit. So I know that one of the challenges we had with Super Bowl 50 was we were looking for NFL athletes that we could um, partner with as ambassadors for our 
more than a sport program or for our, our net positive program. Um, and we found it really difficult to even come up with one NFL athlete that could authentic, that we could authentically align with our program. Why? I think it's fair to say that there are far fewer athletes focused on the environment than there are or interested in the environment than there are on all the other social stuff. I mean, if you take That's this, true. if you take the sustainable development goals, so you've got 17 goals, you know, there, there are, how many of those are focused on climate? Probably three or four directly. At least three. I know 13 yeah. is the one that's, that's, that's most directly hit, but I believe that's the most direct hit. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I believe three. Yeah. So I guess, you know, of the 17, you know, three, of, three are environment first, whereas the others are social first. Um, there are many athletes that are, are aligning around social issues, but very few around um, the environmental issues. What, I mean, you've got people like Kevin Anderson and tennis and Dominic Team, and, you know, they're a very small group, aren't they? Why is that? I think, uh, first of all, it, it is a small group, but it is growing. Um, I believe that it's a, 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 a function of a couple of things. One is that it involves science. You know, some athletes have told me, you know, I, I don't know the science. I don't feel comfortable speaking out on it. The truth is they don't have to speak out on it. Some of them feel like they get bashed as a greenwasher for having a lavish lifestyle. And, you know, there is some truth to that. But again, people can get through that. Um, and then there's the political aspect of it, um, which I believe is, is changing in the favor of, of being uh, much more pro-climate action, pro-green. Yep. So those things, you know, I, I think are breaks on um, getting more eco athletes, so to speak. Uh, but there are more and more of them, but coming up from a small base from the NFL, one high profile uh, uh, athlete who is really engaged on climate is Josh Rosen, uh, the quarterback who is now uh, about uh, who's in his third season um, now with the Miami dolphins so he's he's very interested in it and has spoken about it. Uh, there are Kevin Anderson. You mentioned Dominic Team in tennis. There are a handful in baseball. There are a couple in basketball. Uh, lots lots of sailors. Lots of water sports people. Yes, yeah. and then of course there are a ton, or I don't know about a ton, but the biggest number are in winter sports. And why is that? Um, that's because you know, skiers and snowboarders, their playing field has literally shrunk due to uh, warming temperatures during their lifetime, if not during their careers. So they're seeing it in real time. And so there's an organ organization that's about 10 years old now, Protect Our Winters, or POW, and they have been training winter sports athletes for a good chunk of that time to also speak out on climate. And so you have um, skiers and snowboarders and now also uh, mountain uh, rock climbers um, through POW who are doing just that. And so we're working with eco-athletes in the non-winter every other season. season. Right. And so, you know, so we figure, here's the thing. Um, I think in 2018, uh, uh, Mike Trout of the California Angels uh, uh, baseball for your listeners who are not in the U.S. Um, he or the Los Angeles Angels, I should say, he uh, signed a 12-year contract extension at I think 400 million dollars. And 
when people read that story, they all went to the $400 million. I went to the 12 years because in 2018, that was also the time when the UN uh, FCC, uh, FCCC, uh, came, the, the climate scientists that uh, in aggregate uh, work for the UN and do the climate projection said that we have 12 years, AKA the length of Mike Trout's contract to decarbonize by 45% if we're gonna avoid the most cataclysmic um, effects of climate change. So we have a Mike Trout problem. Mike Trout doesn't have a problem, he's fine. But now we're 10 years away and we don't have the time to waste. So that's why you know, I think more athletes who have short careers, by the way, will get that we don't have a lot of time and so that we'll get more athletes engaged on this issue, despite the, the challenges to getting them on, in on it so far. So as we wrap this up, it's now, let's imagine it's 2030, that 2030 that you spoke about. What do things look like, Lou, in the world of sport and greening and sustainability? What, what's your hope? I mean, my hope is, is that we have made environment and climate a, just a, a part of the sports broadcasting and sports event fabric and that the sports leagues and teams and more athletes have taken on climate action, environmental action as causes, and that fans have moved in that direction. And then it's measurable. Will we have solved the climate problem? Will we have decarbonized by 45%? I, I'm not gonna bet a lot on that, but hopefully we will have moved in the right direction and that sports is playing its outsized role. I mean, as a business, the size of the business is not that huge. But the effect, thanks to the power of athletes and the power of sport, is massive. And we need to, hopefully we will have engaged that power much better than we have in the, in the past. And so that's your hope. Um, what's yeah. your kind of reality check on all of that? Do you think we're going to be there? Um, I'm... Uh, I'm from Missouri. I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical, <laughs> but that doesn't stop me either because that's why I am going to, at the same time as I have my skepticism, I'm also going to work through eco athletes and through green sports blog to do what I can to make sure that my skepticism wasn't warranted. How about that for a hedge? There you go. There you go. Well, Lou, as always, great chatting to you. Thank you for, again, for everything that you do. Don't stop. Um, no way. Keep pushing. Um, and I'll be right there along your side. And um, yeah, it's been great chatting to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Neil, for all the work you've been doing it in the purpose and sport world, not only in green. I mean, I'm focused on a micro level. You're like, you've got it all. So really, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for having me. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to this edition of Legacy Sport Live the companion podcast series to our new book, Legacy Sport, how to win at the business of sport in the age of social good. Please visit our website at www.legacysport.org to order your copy of the book and join our growing community of sports business professionals committed to doing good while doing well through sport.